Welcome back to Sermon Notes. Michael here alongside Mickey Rapier, our directional leader for Fellowship Northwest Arkansas. Mickey, excited to have you with us at Fellowship Fayetteville. Good to be here. I tell you, I always enjoy coming to Fayetteville. You know, uh, right before we got together to record this podcast, I got to visit our Bentonville campus Mm -hmm. and see what the Lord's doing there, hear about what he's doing in community there. Um, Man, for our listeners who primarily worship in Fellowship Fayetteville, tell us a little bit about what's going on at Bentonville and how we can be a part of what the Lord's doing there. Yeah, well, if the Fayetteville folks, if they've made their way up to Bentonville, uh, they see a building that looks pretty similar. And uh, pretty similar on Sunday morning, too, with the parking issues that we had back in the early days. Yeah, some folks remember that. <laughs> yeah, Fellowship Fayetteville, uh, Doug Walker out there with his vest on. But, uh, it, you know, it's been really exciting just to get that kicked off. And Fellowship started out in Bentonville. And for us to be able to then go back and reestablish a campus there has really been sweet. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, we're we're just about four million dollars away from paying it off, which sounds like a lot of money. It is a stop, lot of money until you in, stop in, and kind of think about. <laughs> yeah, in our pockets, it's a lot. Of right? Money. Yeah, <laughs> it is a lot of money. But uh, you know, originally the bid came in at like thirty-one million. Now, to give you an idea, when we built Fellowship Fayetteville, when we started that project. Uh, the bid came in that it was going to be somewhere in the twelve to thirteen million dollar range, and it turned out to be thirteen and a half. Yeah. So that's how much building costs have gone up, and unbelievably, so we we got way ahead of it, and so we finished just in time. Right. And uh, our project up there is going to cost about twenty six point five million, twenty six point six, and we already have. Uh, uh, $21 million in hand. So we're close. Wow. Yeah, we're getting close. I remember I was so excited about Fayetteville. We had set the December date of paying off Fellowship Fayetteville. And the Fayetteville folks, along with help from Rogers and Bentonville folks all over Northwest Arkansas, we got it done in the fall. Yeah. You know, we got it done before December ever got there. And so I'm hoping the same thing will happen with Fellowship Bentonville, that uh, by the end of the year that we can have all this behind us. And and uh, I so appreciate uh, the participation of the Fayetteville folks in helping us build that campus because it's just going to make more room for more people to come and experience what you and I have experienced at Fellowship Yeah, Michael. Uh, that's so good. And just to remind our our listeners who call Fellowship Fayetteville home, in addition to praying for Bentonville and our Rogers campus as well, um, man, if the Lord's putting it on your heart to help us finish paying for that, you can go to fellowshipfayetteville.org, the website you always go to to get your discussion guide, to watch videos, to check the live stream. Um, you can go there and go to the giving page, and um, you can give right from there. So yeah. we all want to do our part to get this this note paid off and then see what the Lord has next for fellowship. Absolutely. It helps all of us. Right. It helps all of us as a, as a body to be more effective in this region. Just had lunch with a guy who is new to fellowship, and uh, you know, he was so excited just about all the things he's experiencing. And, and for those of us who've been around here for a long time, I'm, I'm so afraid that we may take for granted. Right. Uh, but he's been in church all of his life, and he's never found anything like this, mm. you know. 
And so God has really given us something special and unique that we don't need to take for granted. And during this short life of ours, we need to just do as much as we can to, to spread the gospel. And, and this church and all the people who are part of this church make a difference in Northwest Arkansas. It's a better place to live. I really believe that. A better place to live because of the work that Fellowship Bible Church has done along with other evangelical churches right. in Northwest Arkansas. right. Well, man, that's a good segue into our passage for this week. So here we are at the end of our short seven-week series on the I Am Statements. we got 14 more weeks in the book of John, but this is the last of the I Am Statements. And so here we find ourselves in John chapter 15. Um, So, Mickey, uh, just kind of orient us as Bible readers. Where are we in the story? What's happening? What's, What's Jesus doing when he makes this famous statement, I am the true vine, that we find in John 15? Yeah, that's one of the most beautiful things about this passage to me is here we are. Uh, They have just left uh, the upper room. Now, there are some people who think that they may have still been in the upper room, but according to the last verse of chapter 14, uh, Jesus said, come on, let's go. Uh, He didn't say, come on, but it's you know, that's the MIV. That's the Mickey International Yeah, version. I like it. I think he said, arise, let's go. Uh, but here they are. They've just finished that last supper meal. He's washed their feet. Judas has left. And if, in fact, they were leaving that, that place, uh, they were headed to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus would pray and his sweat would become his great drops of blood. Uh, he was in such distress that God sent an angel down to minister to him during that time. And in just a few hours, we don't know how many hours, but in just a short period of time, he's going to be arrested. And from there, it just goes downhill to the crucifixion. And in these last moments with his disciples, he is pouring out his heart. And I think if you and I, if we knew we just had a few more hours with the people that we love most, our family, our friends, I think the most important thing in our hearts, that's what we would pour into them at that point. And so when he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, uh, that's something that we really ought to explore. Yeah, that's a powerful moment. It's powerful for us to read. I can only imagine how powerful it was for the disciples as he looked them in the eye and said that. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know I know Robert believes this. I and you were just in Israel with me. Mm-hmm. There were so many settings where where Jesus taught that we see the geographical backdrop that made such a statement, like Caesarea Philippi, right? With all the niches for the different gods in the background, that's where he said, "Who do you say I am?" And yeah. Peter said, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." And so Robert, uh, I know he has always taught in teaching this passage that they could have been standing on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. They had to cross the Kidron Valley, and either they walked down the valley from the upper room or they walked through the temple complex. And it just makes sense that they walked through the temple complex and there over the door of the temple were those, uh, Josephus said they were as large as a man, those those uh, grapes and vines covered in gold and precious jewels. And it just makes sense that he would have had that as a backdrop saying, I am the vine, you are the branches. 
Now, that's only speculation on our part, but it, it really does just make sense. Sure. Yeah. And that ties us into just this idea that it's not speculation that um, the vine was a symbol for Israel all through the Old Testament. Absolutely. We could point to multiple passages in the prophets where Israel is a vine, and often a vine that's not bearing good fruit, um, that the, the vine dresser is not pleased with the vine that he's planted. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that it was uh, uh, the vine was... It was a national symbol for Israel. It was printed on their coins during the Maccabean period. So very significant to to the nation of Israel. And so when Jesus is saying, I am the vine, you are the branches, he is saying to them and and, uh, had the, I think he's speaking just to the disciples at this point, but that statement is saying he was replacing Israel as the vine that Israel had come up short, and so he would be the fine. Now, we're not talking about replacement theology right, or anything right, sure. like that. Right. <laughs> we're talking about Jesus, that he would be the vine and they would be the branches. Yeah, I think when you say replacement, you're talking about just in terms of God's blessing yes. and presence. What Israel was designed to do and failed to do, Jesus would do perfectly, which is bring the presence of God to the nations. Chuck Swindoll said it this way. Uh, I noted this quote. He said, Israel was to flourish as a living example of how obedience bears fruit of righteousness. Moreover, the Lord promised to bless Israel as the nation's relationship of trust grew stronger. But Israel failed. By declaring himself the true vine, Jesus took the place of Israel, claiming to be the authentic, healthy vineyard the nation had failed to become. Wow. He, he is our high priest. Right. You know? Right. And so he goes on in this passage to tell the disciples, and then by extension us as followers of Jesus, we can bear fruit. Yeah. We are to bear fruit. Yeah. We are to bear fruit. And if there is no fruit in our lives, then we must examine the authenticity of our faith. Uh, you know, and we're not talking about a works-based salvation. We work because we are saved, right. not for our salvation. But if there are no works there, if there is no fruit in our lives, then we've got to ask the question, you know, what's going on? There, there's the whole issue with Paul and, and James and the argument there, but I'm a firm believer that they were saying the same thing. They right. were just looking at it from different per- perspectives. Paul was saying... This is what your faith will look like. You are justified by faith. And James was looking at it from the other side saying, your faith is going to be evidenced by works. Sure. And so what what does that look like? Well, that's between us and God and what we're capable of, what our capacity is, what we've been called to do. But our lives should reflect the fruit of God working in and through us. Yeah. And then, of course, our little section that we're looking at, just these first few verses of chapter 15, concludes with Jesus talking about joy. Um, He says in verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. That's the point of the whole passage. We often get hung up, and and I will spend uh, uh, a—let me say that again, Josh— we often get hung up on verses 2 and 6, and I'll I spend a lot of time there uh, on uh, Sunday. 
Uh, but verses 2 and 6 are where people think, oh, can I lose my salvation? Can I be cut off and thrown into the fire? You know, and we don't believe that. We believe in the perseverance of the saints. We believe that that uh, when God saves us, it's real and it's forever. And uh, we, we can have times when we disobey, but God has forgiven us past, present, and future. Uh, but the point of this passage, that I am the vine, you are the branches, is that we are in him. And he wants us to bear fruit because he knows that that's what will bring us the most joy in life. He says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands. He's not asking anything of us that he hasn't done himself. He's fulfilled the Father's work in his life and remain in his love. He said, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. That's something we got to remember is that a train is most free when it's on the tracks. That's why he says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Uh, if we get off the tracks, we're stuck. Yeah. We're stuck. It, but it's living the way God wants us to live it. Uh, to, it's living the way God wants us to live this life and not buying into the idea of cheap grace. Right. That, you know, I've got my ticket to heaven I'm going to live how, however I want to. Uh, I, you know, I'm okay. Sure. Just because I've said a prayer that somebody told me to say, or just because I was baptized as an infant, or just because, hey, I'm a good person. Right. That's not it. That's not it. It's about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he knows that if we do that and we nurture that relationship, then we will be fruit-bearing followers of Christ. Yeah, one of the things I've always said to people when we talk about this subject is, if those closest to you, your coworkers, the people that you're doing life with, if they would be surprised to learn that you're a Christian, that should be a real heart check, um, yeah. it, because it should be obvious. Um, everyone who knows you should know that following Jesus is your top priority because that's just going to come out of you, hopefully in winsome ways and gracious ways and ways that are attractive to people. Um, but nobody should be surprised when they find out that you're a follower of Jesus. Absolutely. Uh, it's one of the passages that I brought out in Sunday uh, was Second Peter 1, 5 through 9, uh, where he talks about those some of those uh fruits that we should bear. You know, we know Galatians 5.22, it's it, the fruit of the Spirit in us is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things there is no law. But Peter talked about, uh, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure— Increasing measure, and that's where other people are going to see it. They will keep you from becoming ineffective and unproductive in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But then the stinger, which is the one you were talking about, he said, if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he's been forgiven of his past sins. You know, it's so people should see Jesus in us. Yeah. But you know what? It's not as easy as it used to be. 
because we have a culture now around us that uh, they have a different view of Christianity than they did in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. They're adversarial to what we believe. That's why I heard uh, in your evaluation on Monday morning, which people may not know that we have an evaluation of the service on Monday of what happened on Sunday because— The good and the bad. The good and the bad. <laughs> yeah, we, we want to get it right, and we want to do better. And so we have those open, honest evaluations. But I heard someone say that, that when Garland was teaching, I am the way, the truth, the life— that there were people commenting. There were people saying amen. There were people, uh-huh. You know, they, they were proud that our church took that stand, that Jesus is the only way. Uh, and I think that's going to be one of the most pivotal verses over the next maybe 100 years. Right. Uh, barring Jesus doesn't come back before then. Yeah. Because people don't want to believe that Jesus is the only way. Right. And so it's harder to live it out now. In our culture, it's harder to be bold and say I'm a Christian, but really that that should just embolden us, mm. embolden us to spread the love of Jesus because that's what it is. And as you pointed out just a minute ago, the whole point of the passage is joy, and so yeah, um, even if with that comes some awkwardness, some social cost, um, man, the end result is joy in Christ, and nothing that we can get from this world is going to compete with that. You know. I was talking to a guy to a guy this week. We were having lunch together, and he's very successful, very very successful in in the world's eye. And he loves Jesus. He walks with Jesus. And we were just talking about his life in general. And I asked him this question. I said, "Out of the things that you've done and everything that's happened to you over the last year, what has given you the most joy?" And he didn't even have to think about it. Because he had just told me the story of a few a few minutes before that of leading a guy to Christ. Oh wow! This guy, uh, <laughs> it's such a beautiful story. This guy had grown up religious, but did not know Christ as his savior. Uh, he had been to church. He had done all the things that they had asked him to do. But it was obvious to to his friend that I was talking to that he didn't know the Lord. And so I asked him, What's, what gives you more joy? And he said, it was leading that guy to Christ. Wow. More that's than, what this is talking about. More than about. any earthly accomplishment or accolade that had come his way, financial gains, Absolutely. none of it can compare. None of it compares to that. And God knows that. And that's why it's, it's not what he wants from us. It's what he wants for us. Yeah. God's not asking anything from you. He's already got it all. <laughs> He, what he wants for us, though, is that joy of, of knowing that we're fulfilling his will, what he's called us to do. Yeah, man, that's so encouraging. Well, this is the last of our I Am statements. And so, um, man, I thought, Mickey, maybe we'd just kind of reflect back over the last seven weeks as we've seen Jesus make these bold statements um, that he is the, the light of the world, that he is the, the true bread. Um, we could go down the list. He's the gate yeah. for the sheep. He's the shepherd who lays down his life. He's the resurrection. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And of course, today, he's the true vine. So which one is your favorite? Oh, man. <laughs> That'd be a hard one to pick, <laughs> oh, wouldn't it? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I would say probably the one that um, has really 
meant a lot to me was that statement, I'm the good shepherd, I lay down my life for my sheep. And just, man, I spent a lot of time thinking about that and what that means and what that cost Jesus. Um, That um, I am the one that wandered and the good shepherd left Mm -hmm. the 99 to come and redeem that one. And it cost him his life. And so um, we taught that a few weeks ago. And of course, that was our Palm Sunday teaching. But I guess I hadn't gotten over it because I just continue to return to that as I talk to the Lord and think about it. My sheep know my voice. Mm. You know, I love that as a part of that. And um, I love I am the light of the world. You know, thinking about the temple being lit during that time. And with all those lights, those huge torches there, and, you know, it said that the temple was so bright with that, all the gold and, and, and all the, the uh, light-colored marble and stones that they had there, that during the daytime when the sun was shining on it, you had to cover your eyes uh, to, to keep it from hurting your eyes. And uh, in the midst of all that, when it's lit up at night, he says, I... In the light of the world. Yeah. You know. And man, we look at around right now. You just watch the first five minutes of the evening news. Um, man, the world is dark. It's dark place. And it needs the light of Christ. His light chases away that darkness. Yeah. And then the other thing I think, just I hope our listeners have have contemplated, and if you haven't, I would just challenge you to think about this, is the God who revealed himself in the burning bush. Moses said, who should I say sent me? I am me. who I am. Yeah. That the self-existent, self-sustaining creator God revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus says, I am, and follows it with any of these statements, it's a strong claim to deity. And I think the people knew that. I think his opponents knew that. And I think that's why they got so riled up. He they were is infuriated. He is comparing himself to the Creator God. Yeah. And that's why the resurrection is so important because that vindicated that everything he said was true. Absolutely. Absolutely. How they tried to deny it, but there was no denying that. You know? And to this day, there's yeah. no denying it. No denying it. Yeah. Over 400 witnesses. And some of the people he raised from the dead. You know, Quadratus was a, a, a bishop during that time. He said he talked to some of those people wow. that Jesus had raised from the dead. Yeah. So there were lots of witnesses to it. It's not a mythical thing. Right. Right. Well, I've enjoyed our seven weeks, and I'm excited to see what the Lord's going to show us through the seven signs that are next. Mickey, thanks again for taking the time Thank you. to do the podcast and to come down to Fable and teach. Looking forward to Sunday. and. I appreciate y'all for pulling us up on your device and listening to Sermon Notes. We'll see you next time.